When the mental and emotional health of workers is under threat, the mind, the body, and the soul can be affected. Stay tuned for our conversation with a community leader who's utilized faith-based approaches to help workers in need on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Safety at work is more than freedom from physical injury. To be safe, you have to feel safe. Join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the USA. Well, in this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast, I'm absolutely honored to have Pastor Warren L. Henry. So we are in the the studios that uh, Pastor Henry has envisioned and uh, brought to pass. And we're going to be talking with him today. So a little bit about Pastor Henry. Uh, We actually met some years ago in my first fire chief opportunity. He served as a public safety chaplain for us. And uh, he's got quite a story to tell. Well, he has two master's degrees and uh, is certified as both a police officer and a firefighter. And that's not something that you often see for folks who come in to assist firefighters and police officers. They actually don't know the road that those firefighters and police officers have taken, and he actually does. So we're in for a rare, very, uh, a rare and interesting conversation with Pastor Henry today. And I call him Pastor Henry. Uh, and But before we, you know, really, really start digging into some of the details, uh, let's find out who is Warren Henry. Hello there, Chief. How are you? (laughs) How you doing? Good, good, good. You know, I like that. I always have always called you Chief. Right. Um, And I know this is not my show. This is yours. But I just recognize that you have excelled in in your vision for you. And I want to congratulate you with your PhD. And uh, I'm always honored and going to always call you my chief. <laughs> That's my, my pleasure. My pleasure. My yes, pleasure. sir. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so again, who is, who is Warren Henry? That's a very good question. I was uh, just recently talking with a, a counselor. And uh, one thing I said to her is that I don't know who Warren Henry is mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. I've always been this other guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who Warren Henry really is, uh, I'm, I'm a son to uh, Leroy and, and Dora Henry. Mm-hmm. I am a brother to uh, three brothers and two, uh, two sisters. I, uh, I'm a husband to Sharon Henry. I'm a father to two wonderful daughters, Genevieve and Shanice, and two wonderful sons. And that is Warren Jr., the, the second, uh, and also uh, Wendell. I have eight wonderful grandchildren, oh. uh, six girls and two boys. One of those boys is in the oven. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, and, and I'm proud of that. I'm also uh, a pastor. And I think for me being the pastor is one of the greatest rewards that, that I could have. Um, I started preaching at the age of 18. And at the age of 19, started pastoring. So I'm one person that is on the face of this earth that you can probably say uh, for the most of his life, been fulfilling his calling uh, purpose here on this, on this earth. As a pastor, I've learned to be a servant. Hmm. And uh, as a servant, I, I served uh, Fulton County. And when uh, 
a gentleman not by the name of uh, Bill Edwards became uh, a commissioner. He asked me to be the chaplain for the, the South Fulton. That role took me all over Fulton County and got me into some interesting mm -hmm. situations, mm -hmm. uh, which led me to become a law enforcement chaplain uh, here in the state of Georgia. I am a certified post-certified chaplain in the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. But then also I went in the post and became a post-certified police officer just so I could understand what it is that causes them to put that uniform on and go out there. While I was in that academy, the fire department saw me and, and this, this is a wonderful thing about police and fire. They were, they're all territorial. <laughs> and they were like, hey, you are a chaplain too. You're going to go through our academy. And I'll never forget, I got a call from one of the former chiefs, uh, Chief a few, who said, they got you down on the list to go through the academy. You going to do that? And I said, yeah. And so I wind up going through, uh, as a matter of fact, I was the president of uh, my class. I know, you, I know that made you proud. I was the president of the class and became a level two certified, national certified firefighter. And, uh, and I'm proud of that. I'm also the crisis negotiator for our great city of South Fulton. So whenever the SWAT team is called out, I'm always one that that is always on the scene. I'm called out um, when we're doing warrants and oftentimes calling people, talking them down mm -hmm. from doing harm to, to themselves or to the community, to other persons. And uh, so those are just a few other things, but the greatest is being a servant, which begins in the, as a pastor and has extended throughout the world and I'm excited about that but you know that's the pastor Henry right. but the first part is who Warren Henry is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank Wonderful. you sir. Yeah, that, Thank you. you know I, it's important that particularly when we talk about psychological issues what's what's in people's heads so so the purpose of my discussion mm -hmm. uh, or this discussion in this podcast is to talk about psychological health and safety there's a lot of conversation about physical safety and and you've certainly been involved in, in in those discussions and seeing when people were you know injured physically I, my question to you is what's the connection at least in your mind between the chaplaincy uh, and even your ministry and when people are traumatized or injured emotionally Where's that connection? How do you see that connected? Well, some, some things that's really important about that is when we talk about the emotional state of a person, um, the body is made out of, or the, the, the being is made out of spirit, soul, and body. And when we look at trauma, oftentimes we look at trauma uh, in the physical because we're not all well versed in the solical and mm -hmm. the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotion. And when we can understand how the mind, will, and emotion connects not to the physical but to the spiritual, then we're able to really see the impact that it really has on a person's total being, total existence. Mm -hmm. My my journey has been a a um, oh really a a tough journey mm -hmm. to experience and see the emotional scars. Mm -hmm. Uh, on people's lives and how it connects into the ministry, God gave me a term um, that I, I begin to use that means a lot to me and it is to become soul conscious. Mm. And that's what a lot of people are not aware of is the consciousness of the person's soul. How a person's mind has been 
uh, uh, damaged because of the trauma, how their will has been damaged. The, the mind is, is the way in which we think. So when they begin to, to think and not give up and we, or decide to give up and not pursue uh, the, the will, when their will comes to a crash, where they no longer have a will to do this or do that and the emotion to carry it out, that emotion to carry it out is positive and negative. Mm. If I decide to get up from here and, and make a, a positive move, I got to get up. If I decide to stay here and not make a positive move, but to take a more negative reaction, that's still an emotional move that I made. So I've become aware of a person's soul uh, and that connects with, with the ministry. Chief, when most people talk about spirits. People normally talk about God's spirit because they know very little about their own spirit. But when God said, let us make man, he was saying, let us make spirit because God is a spirit. And then he took spirit. And, and as we know the story, he, he, he shaped his body out of the dirt. But what most folks don't understand is the moment that spirit touched that dirt, the soul produced, which is the mind, willing, emotion. That's why, that's why we became a human being. The being is that of the soul. The hue is that of the dirt. Humus mm. is dirt. So you take the hue from humus and you take man which is spirit and put that together, you got a human. When you take the soul, which is the being of a person, which is their mind, will, and emotion, now you got a human being. And we oftentimes understand the humus, the dirt part of us, without really understanding the, the man and the soul, hmm. the being of the man. So when you really get to understand the being of the man, the role as a servant um, is an easy role in which we, we, we play and, and how we make that, that happen with each other. So as I'm listening to your description, uh, you know, having been raised in church myself, it feels you know, it feels it has the quality of a sermon to it because that's, you know, that's a, that's a lot of who you are. However, there are those who are not, you know, not into religion one way or the other, they, they, you know, not good or bad, but just don't. How do you get people who are not necessarily focused on, again, what people would describe as religion, how do you get them to understand and value the role of chaplaincy? Wow, that's a very good question. Um, I have a few thoughts that I, that I kind of wrote down, so that's what I don't forget. Here would be one, that a chaplain is, is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A chaplain is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Um, I remember in the life of the county uh, that there were uh, a person, a woman, keeping names out of it, who, who children were killed in, in the back of a school, son and daughter. I didn't know them. When I was called on the scene and got there and they discovered the bodies, uh, traumatized the whole community because we discovered that the person who committed the crime was actually a neighbor mm. that lived right up the street. And saw saw the the victims walking through a park and and killed them that that mother has accepted me as a friend to the family 
and this been many years ago. I still have her number in my phone. I can call her right now mm -hmm. and she will say, Pastor Henry, mm -hmm. thank you so much. I've been thinking about you. And so that connection that, that we have with each other, I think that's one thing that the chaplaincy does. It makes us that, gives us that friendship that we have that no one really understands. Another one is a chaplain is like an extension of every fiber of one's body. I mean, every fiber, you, you really don't, you really don't know that you need it until you need it. You really never know how important the thumb is until you don't have it. Okay. You never know how important even the toe is until it's gone and how you need all five of them to be able to stand right. So the chaplain is like that. You don't know the importance of that person until you actually need him. And when you need him, you discover that he's always right there. Um, case in point, there is um, a police chief that when, when mother died, called me in as, as their chaplain to, to, to serve them and to get them through. And from that moment on, son-in-law dies, mm. called me in to get the family through and no matter what happened, and, and I become a member of that body. As, as the Bible talks about that, that many members, but yet one body, I become a part of that body. Another one is, is a chaplain is, is a greater part of you that you don't know until you need that part of you. Mm. And I kind of like that. Mm. That's my own quote. Well, sure, 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 <laughs> it's a sure. greater part of you that you don't know until you actually need it. Right. And because everybody needs somebody, Chief. Everybody goes through life, and I've learned this about life. God didn't intend on us to be here and think that we can make it by ourselves. We were not created to make it by ourselves. That's right. That's we were right. created to make it with each other. And with that, for that person who may not be religious, just know that those are some wonderful things to just think about as who this person that they call a chaplain or a minister or a priest or a rabbi that comes into my life is a part of me when I didn't know it was a part of me. One of the, the challenges that I believe we have here in the United States is the fact that while we have a very, very strong tradition of faith, okay. uh, people will often describe this as a quote unquote Christian nation. Uh, which is interesting because we also talk about the importance of religious freedom and sometimes forget that there are other faiths as well. But this discussion about, uh, about faith and, uh, and about support doesn't all the time extend into the workplace. And a, a lot of what we talk about with my guests on this uh, in this podcast, in this conversation, is about what goes on at work. So again, there are many people who don't have a chaplain at work, but they have people that they're able to share their concerns with and to share what's going on in their life with them. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm curious, we, we have a law in the United States, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, that says employers have to make sure that the workplace is safe physically for people. Uh, we have to make sure that they, if there is a recognizable hazard that the employer is, the employer is responsible to make sure that their uh, employees are kept safe from that. 
we don't have a regulation in the United States. We don't have a law or anything that says that you have to tend to the emotions of people. What do you think about that? Well, well so the good, good point, sir, that, that hazard is, again, as I said, the physical, which we all know about. Let's make sure he don't trip and fall. Right. Let's make sure that the crack is fixed on the floor so, so, so her heel doesn't get caught in there and fall and we get sued. Right, right. When we, we all just went through this pandemic and we're still going through it, right. COVID-19, right. when people went back to work, I, I'll never forget, I was called in and I was asked, listen, can you go through and talk to employees? Mm -hmm. Because it appears that the, the morale is down. There's a lot of change that has taken place. There are new leadership, and we feel that uh, because of that, people may not be so excited about the change. So I did that. Mm -hmm. I went door to door, and every door that I knocked on, and the person said, come in, and they had on all the doors, have on the mask, so we had on the mask. The door opened, and I opened the door, and they, and they said, hi, chaplain. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, they said, come on in, can we talk? Everybody has been traumatized through this pandemic and nobody in the working place that has required them to come back, stop by to say, mm. are you okay? Mm. Stop by to say, can we talk? Stop by to say, just how did you survive these two years? Have you lost any loved ones? Did you lose any neighbors? We all have been impacted and as a nation, we all are mourning. And there has been no healing for our nation because as a nation, it's like we just move right along, like everything's okay. And that's what we've done in the workplace, therefore causing a very bad posture in all of our workplaces because people are traumatized mentally that's the soul. The mind is the trichotomy, one of the trichotomy points of the soul. The soul is mind, will, and emotion. So when that affects me, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this workplace. You know, I love what I'm doing, but you, you, you haven't even asked me how I'm doing, how I'm hurting. Everybody lost somebody. Everybody had something to say. And upon leaving, there was prayer offered. Then there was the laughter. And then the final great phrase is, thank you for stopping by. I needed that. Mm -hmm. And that's all people needed. Mm -hmm. so, so when we talk about that, that safety hazard, the mind is a terrible thing to waste, as we know. Right. So if the mind isn't healthy, there's nothing else healthy about that life. Mm -hmm. And then from the mind, it, it filters over to the physical. Mm -hmm. and to the, the spiritual. Mm -hmm. So that means that our people in our workforces are really unhealthy people. Um, I'm reminded of a particular city that um, funding was given through the government so that the first responders could get this nice bonus because in the midst of COVID, they never stopped. A lot, a lot of folks don't understand that, and this is where you got to appreciate them because, because it never, ever stopped. They continued to roll. Crime after crime, fire after fire, fire rescue continued to roll, and they made this money available. And I remember hearing of 
one of the elected officials more or less saying, let's put conditions upon receiving that. And it hurt the responders, first responders, so much because they don't put their life on the line. Mm -hmm. And this is just the reward to say, thank you for being there. This is the, the government saying to your resp first responders, thank you for being there, but then you want to place a restriction upon them receiving what they've already put their life on the line for. See, those are the things that continue to uh, attack the, the mental capacity. Right, right. And, and you want to know why here in the state of Georgia, it's hard to find police mm -hmm. and firefighters mm -hmm. because they want to be appreciated. Sure. sure. They want to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it don't, no matter who it is, that's why it's hard to find workers now because you don't appreciate what I have. And appreciation star, we're recognizing the fact that I may have some damage mm -hmm. that, doesn't, that doesn't make me unqualified. As a matter of fact, it makes me more qualified right. because it's my being part of the human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm just a human being, but it's the being part of the human and it makes me even more qualified because if I can understand what you're going through, then I can understand what others and we can bring healing to our I hope I answered your question. You have, you have, and you make me think about so so many thoughts cross my mind, but you made me one of the things that you were saying is uh, really describing uh, what I try to describe as a safety professional, you've described the same thing uh, as a man of faith, that if there is damage to how people feel, there is eventually going to be damage to how they operate. Because you can't, you can't separate the two and say, well, you can feel this way, you can feel poorly, and do exceptionally. They're, they are certainly connected. Well, well I, I, think, I think you probably know even better than me some of the stats as it relates to officers firefighter suicide. It's the number one cause. Why is there a suicide? Suicide doesn't mean that something that happened to my physical body. Suicide means that there's something that's done happened to my psyche, my soul, my mind and will and emotion. It means something when a person says, I want to stop this globe and get off of it. Either this is a mean place to be in that I don't want to be here no more. This is a selfish place to be in. I don't want to be here no more. This is a place where I can't share what I'm going through and feel like I won't be penalized. Mm -hmm. You know, penalized or mistreated or demoted because I'm sharing. I can't even say I want to go talk to the chaplain because at that moment, then they put a check on me that something's wrong with that person. That's why when, when officers and firefighters come to see the chaplain, it should be private where it's not known and they don't have to go through the, the rank and file requesting for me to go see the chaplain. Mm -hmm. They should be able to give in that and to communicate it in the right source, but it goes no further because that's their private life that they're needing help with now because of the work that they've committed themselves to. Mm -hmm. and, and we overlook that. So when so suicide is is a number one, like brothers and sisters coming back from the military, mm -hmm. being traumatized and, and coming back home is supposed to be joyful. Yes. But it's more traumatized being here than I was when I was back in there. Right. Folks that come out, come out of jail, out of penitentiary, commit a crime to go back because out here I'm traumatized. In there, we were family. Out here, I'm a criminal. Yeah, it is. It is this whole 
discussion about what safe means. And people talk about safety a lot. Uh, and again, as a safety professional, it's, it's almost humorous sometimes to hear people talk about safety when I'm not sure if they really understand what they're talking about or if it's simply a slogan to them. Because safety is that, that, that perception. It's not a thing, it's a feeling. Safety really is a feel. Correct. And we've had so much conversation about the hazards themselves and the, and the negative consequence of not being safe that we have not had enough conversation about the fact that safety, again, is, as a matter of fact, when it shows up in the English language in the 14th century, safety was a noun. It was not a verb. Mm. It start, the word mm. started off as a noun. It is not a thing. It is a feeling. But we have systems that are set up that are all about the things. As a matter of fact, many organizations who have safety programming, it's not about the people. It's about the fact that it'll cost me money when they damage something. It'll cost me money when the person files a lawsuit. So it's not really about feeling safe. It's about do these things so you can comply with the law. Do these things. Now, as I shared earlier, we don't even have a regulation. For some people, that's the only way they'll do it. And I've said that before. People do safety things for generally one of three reasons. They feel like it's the right thing to do. Uh, they think they're going to save money or because they have to. And as I've said before, I'm okay with whichever one you get, but I would rather it be about people doing because they feel it's the right thing to do, because they feel it's the right thing for the human beings that they're interacting with. And what you do as a chaplain, is, is, it seems to be so connected. As a matter of fact, many, uh, particularly in the fire service standards, chaplaincy is listed as a safety-related function. That's why it exists, is for the health and safety of the human beings that happen to be doing the work. And you've shared mm. a little bit about you know, your public safety responsibilities. Right. What about your role as, you know, again, here in the city of South Fulton, as just a citywide chaplain? Not everybody's in law <laughs> enforcement, not everybody's a firefighter. You know, how, how does that fit across the entirety uh, of the employer, the city that, that you role, that you function as a chaplain for? Well, well, so when we became a city, the city of South Fulton, um, the, the elected officials uh, did a wise thing and that hadn't been done no place else. They created the office of the chaplain. So they created an actual office for the chaplaincy and then they took uh, yours truly and placed me over the office of the chaplain and gave me no budget and said here. <laughs> so, so in the midst of, of having nothing, we took nothing, and with our, um, the wisdom and the knowledge that God gave us to connecting with others and thinking through some things, I've created the five branches of the chaplaincy. So in the city of South Fulton, we have law enforcement chaplains, fire rescue chaplains, um, we have jail chaplains, and the jail ch chaplains extends over to the court uh, and, and even hospital. We have governmental chaplains, so that means that any elected and appointed officials, um, department heads and all employees kind of fall up under that. And then we have citizenship chaplains. Mm. And we have seven districts, so the goal is to have chaplains in each district recruiting the entire faith community to become part of the chaplaincy program. 
going through training that's necessary. We have, uh, I've created a CTAP program, Chaplain's Training Education Program, which is three days of intense uh, studying about the Office of the Chaplain. And then once they, those who pass through that becomes Chaplain Cadets and have to do about 40 hours of field training. We have to spend time with the police, fire in jail, in the court, um, uh, in the government, you know, just, just doing something, and then out in, in the environment, in the, in the community. So we created that entire office of the chaplain. And, and what's so powerful about it, it brings service. It brings, uh, as a matter of fact, I have it here, uh, the classification provides spiritual and pastoral support to employees, family members, and services to the community. So everybody through the office of the chaplain get help, aid, and assistance. Even if you're traveling through, there have been so many people, Chief, that I've been called out on the scene because of various accidents or various fatalities that did not live in the city of South Fulton but were passing through. Mm. The beauty is that if you are passing through the city and something happens, this city has thought enough by creating the office of the chaplain to provide loving care and support to aid your loved ones, to reach out to you wherever you are, minister to you, minister to your loved one, and make sure that whatever we can do, you will know that at the end, that this is a city that you would tell people to go through there mm -hmm. because if something happened, they have something in place to actually take care of you. That's, that's what the role is. And the responsibilities are, are many things because as you look at the totality of people, this whole city, the blessing is, is that I am like the pastor of the city, over 110,000 citizens. I'm the, the senior pastor of the city. I'm the senior chaplain of the city, and I have 11 volunteers, none on staff, so it's just me, but 11 volunteers, ministers who I can call. And when I call, they respond, they have uniforms, and they come to the aid to help. The whole idea is to rebuild the faith community of the city of South Fulton. So when something happens to the, to the soul, when something happens to the spiritual being, to the, to the human being, that, that spiritual people can roll up, of all denominations can roll to bring that, that healing, that help, uh, that part of that body that you didn't know you had until you needed it, mm -hmm. shows up and provides for you. We have done so many um, death notifications this year. Mm -hmm. We've been called on the scene so much to um, aid to victims and family members who lost loved ones. And the, the key to that and the, the traumatizing thing, as a matter of fact, there's something that you said to me long time ago when you were uh, the former chief and I served as your chaplain. You, you even gave me a picture and it showed how the chaplain was rolling up to this house and how it was, he was on his way to change the whole fiber of that family by with the announcement or the news that he brought to change their whole way of thinking. They woke up today with a whole plan that included that person right. that now is about to be interrupted because that person that they had included is now gone. And, um, and these are the things that, that our chaplaincy does all the time, deliver. I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm the bearer of bad news. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, being the bearer of bad news, I'm the person of good fortune mm. because we understand and try to understand where a person is and to be genuine and to be, provide everything they need, even if that's the silent ministry. 
just your presence means more than anything. Knowing that you don't always have to say something until the right time to say it. And you got to have a spiritual capacity to know when to do that. I tell our, our, our clergy who comes part of our chaplaincy program, I, say, I tell them, I say, you cannot bring your church in here or you cannot bring your ministry into the office of the chaplains, but you can do ministry in the office of the chaplain. You see, there is a way in which we do it because we have other folks that's watching over us that we got to make sure that we're providing the kind of love and the kind of care that they actually need. But as the senior chaplain to the uh, five branches of the chaplaincy uh, is all my intellectual property mm -hmm. and uh, the whole structure and everything, it's a beautiful, it, it fits with any government, mm -hmm. any government in the world mm -hmm. and nowhere in the world is it being done. Mm -hmm. The training is laid out. Uh, the structure and the, org, the, the proper procedure of it is laid out. And the best place where it's served is in the city manager's department mm -hmm. or the, uh, the, the chief administrator apartment, uh, department that oversees the entire city mm -hmm. or the mayor mm -hmm. that oversees the entire city because you want the same eyes as the person who sees it all mm -hmm. so that you bring that care mm -hmm. to everybody mm -hmm. on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, recently, our office has been placed in the um, in over in the police department, which becomes a a struggle and a conflict without people really knowing that. Mm -hmm. When the decision was made, nobody asked me anything, mm -hmm. and I think that uh, for having done this practically all my life, I should know. Uh, a little bit about providing care mm -hmm. and having created the office of the chaplain mm -hmm. um, and its foundation and structure, which was not created in the police department, mm -hmm. that I should know how it serves. So, so what happens is you take, you take an office that covers the entire city and you place it inside one little department that's in the midst of the whole thing to watch it function, mm -hmm. and and it 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 cripples mm -hmm. the purpose. And if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, then you ask the creator of the thing. And if you don't ask the creator, then you will never understand the purpose. No matter what your concept is, right. it ain't the purpose right. of a thing. And then when you remove a thing from its purpose, then you actually destroy the thing unless the thing has the capacity to live on its own. Right. Right. And that's where we are. So one of the, there actually is an international standard that identifies how you should institute psychological health and safety in your organization. Again, it's not a regulation in the U.S. As a matter of fact, many in the U.S. don't even know it exists. But in my research, I, it was one of the documents that I used in my research. And one of the psychosocial hazards, again, the psychosocial hazard mm -hmm. is something that is perceived or experienced by the person as a hazard. One of those hazards is the duty to care for others. That's a hazard in and of itself. The responsibility to take care of other people is a psychosocial hazard for the person who's doing it. Doctors, lawyers, police officers firefighters, EMTs, people who are in the service business. It yeah. is a hazard in and of itself. Chaplains. Correct. So share a little bit, if you will, about what this has been for you. So this is back to, so Warren Henry became, a, I understand, became a pastor very early, have been in ministry for years, have been in chaplaincy. 
But what is that like for you, the person, this duty to care for people all the time? What's that like? That that is a, a excellent excellent question and even even great for where I am right now in my life. So if if I if I bag up just a little bit, uh, it was year 2000 when I started serving as as a chaplain, an extension of my pastoring here in in uh, Fulton County. Um, the extension of that was real easy. People would ask me, how is it that you can do all these things? And I would tell them that it's just serving. Uh, and and serving is easy if you are a servant. And and I love serving. I put all I had into trying to, to help people where they are, being in, uh, uh, the empathy of feeling what people are, learning how to do that, understanding the, the solical life, the soul of a person knowing that if you really understand the soul, you can hear what a person isn't saying because it don't come off of their lips, it comes from their heart. And when you connect to their soul, that mind, will, and emotion, your soul and, and their soul can begin to dialogue with each other without them knowing it, but you're knowing it. So, so being in that role where I would be called out um, from one fatality, from another, whether it's a law enforcement officer killed in the line of duty, or a firefighter who, who died in the line of duty, um, a fatality where two or three people were killed and the white she's covering up, or where a gang member was shot and, and left for dead, or individual that was burned in a fire um, to a crisp and the seat belt is covering them over and they, you still see them holding on to the steering wheel, the skeleton. Um, from seeing people that were serving as law enforcement that was that were shot because uh, somebody recognized them, but they didn't recognize who they were, or they were actually trying to get away and they were they were shot. Um, watching officers get tangled up in the battles with with uh, citizens and one get killed, and you being called on the scene. I remember uh, a therapist once talking to me saying. How do you deal with all of that? Who debriefs you? And I told her, nobody debriefs me. I don't go to talk to nobody. And she said, there's something that you do. She said, and I'm asking you, when you find out what it is that you do, she said, because can't nobody do what you do, even when it comes to just pastoring, dealing with all of the trauma of members, the loss of family members. And here's the thing what that happens that the longer you pastor people, and y'all begin to grow old together when they die, it's like a family member. Man, it hurts real bad. She was like, there's no way you can do what you do and not have some type of outlet, debriefing process. So she said, when you figure it out, you let me know. Well, remember I told you that I'm a crisis negotiator. And one of our crisis negotiators died. Um... And I was called on the scene. The amazing thing was that I went and looked at the body. I didn't know who he was. He wasn't traumatized or nothing. I just didn't know. Guy with the family did everything I needed to do, but I just didn't know. And uh, when we went to view the body at the funeral home for the viewing, I stood before him and still didn't know him. And then it was then that God like removed the veils off my eyes and I was able to see that it was my crisis negotiator. And, and I broke down and I, ha and I had to go. But I came home 
When I got home, I ran to hot tub of water, turned all the lights off, turned on some jazz, got in the water, laid back, and I start processing everything. And then I start placing things in the file cabinet where it needed to go and closing the file cabinet. And then when I finally would finish soaking, I would get in the bed and go to sleep. I wake up the next day and I was fine. I realized then that's my coping mechanism. Every time I went on a call, every time I dealt with somebody else's trauma, when I went home, I soaked, I meditated, I processed it and put it in a file cabinet and closed the file. I could always go and open it back up and pull that file out and pick it right up. But I closed it and the next day I was back processing and I was good. What happens is that and what I didn't know is that I was experiencing or developing secondary trauma, secondary stress. I didn't realize that. Didn't even know if you had mentioned it back then, secondary trauma, I would have said, I'm not traumatized. Secondary stress, I'm not stressed out. But you don't know it until something happens to you. So for all these years, it was outside people serving in the community until it became my family, until I lost my dad. And then last year in January, lost my eldest brother. And there have been other family members and friends that that we've lost. And what I realized is that I can't detach from that. I can't go and soak and listen to jazz and get up, go to sleep and wake up the next morning and have detached myself from my dad or my brother. I can't do that. So I'm experiencing secondary trauma secondary stress that got me sitting down now talking with a therapist, which is something that I should have been doing all along for my psychological health. Yes. You so so right now I can almost kind of say I'm damaged. Yes. You know, um, because today as we prepared for this show, I got a call this morning from our fire chief that something happened, fatality, and I had to go on scene. So when you saw me leaving the day, I was going to minister, mm-hmm. and then I came back mm-hmm. in order so that we can do this. So that's always something mm-hmm. that if, if I tried to go through the, the grieving process, and here's what I learned, I want you all to really understand, there is a grieving process, and do not deny yourself from the grieving process. My therapist asked me yesterday, she said, no, she more or less told me, or she did ask, she said, where are you in the grieving process? And I told her, I don't know. I said, I think that I'm still at the bargaining point. And that bargaining is really kind of classified as the third stage of, 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 of grieving. I, hadn't, I don't even think I gotten past that because like with my brother, I'm, I'm like, why didn't I just go? I felt like I, I, I should have went down there just to see him or, or even from the window just to see him so I could have seen my brother. And yet I was praying, God, let somebody get to him. Let somebody get in the hospital when he got there to know him by his name and call him Levi. Because in the hospital, they're going to say, Mr. Henry, you know, Mr. Leroy. But if he, if he heard in the back of his mind, you know, because they say the hearing is the last thing to go, Levi, then he would have felt that somebody's here that knows me and I'll be okay. And I 
prayed and I prayed, man. I kept saying this, Chief. I kept doing a podcast, and this was the phrase of the podcast. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So wherever your loved one is, because you remember when the pandemic started, your loved one would go in the hospital and you wouldn't see them no more. That's right. They wouldn't come out alive. That's right. You know, and, 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 and you couldn't get a word. But somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody that could hear you talk about your loved one and may know somebody who works in that hospital all the way in Timbuktu that could that could say, hey, I know that person and can go in there and say your loved ones all the way back in Georgia are thinking about you and praying for you. That kind of that was the podcast. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So so I'm praying and I'm asking. And when that final day came for my brother. My, my sister-in-law got a call and she was told that from the hospital because we thought he was getting better. You know, we just thought it would be better because it started out that morning. But then they got the call that uh, come on in, we're going to suit you up so you can come in and see him because we don't know how much longer he has. And what she did was so beautiful because the prayer was, God, just get somebody in there. Let us get in there. And she called me. She said, Warren, if if uh, when I get there, if you get mama and your brothers and sisters on the phone, and do a FaceTime, I'll let y'all see Levi and talk to Levi. Mm-hmm. And she said, Lee, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she did, and that was so wonderful. I, I always love her for that, mm-hmm. because it helped us to bring some closure to that portion, um, because if we had not seen him, we would have wondered, well, what did he look like? I, I, you know, and he looked good, but we would have wondered. So she gave us some closure to that. But still, at that bargaining point, if I had gotten there to see him, would he been better? Mm-hmm. Would he might have made it if he heard my my voice? And and that that whole bargaining is part of the process. So is that is that that secondary stuff that you are placing upon you that if the workplace, if all workplaces don't realize that when you got a person who deals with customer service and irate customers coming in, they're dealing with this abuse. You've got to provide for them the healthy part of their work, which we don't have. They work and you tell them, deal with it, deal with it. And then they go home and they wake up the next day and hear some more stuff. And then they get stuff from their supervisors, their management, their coworkers, who needs it. And And what COVID has taught people to do is, I don't need this. I go home and figure out start a business on Facebook, YouTube and make more money than what you're paying me. And I'm at home and I ain't got to deal with the stress. What people are simply saying is that I've decided to care more about my psychological place without knowing that's what they're saying. Because I'd rather not come back into that working environment because it's not a healthy environment for me. So people are more concerned about their health than the workplace. Yes, yes. You're, uh, you've actually just done a commercial for uh, exactly <laughs> what I do. <laughs> it, it is helping organizations understand the responsibility that they have to care for the people that they have hired. These organizations, whether they be public or private, you decided to get into the business. You decided what the business was going to be, or, or you decided to run for office if it's in the public sector. You decided to be the city manager, county manager, what have you. You decided, and you decided to hire these people. Right. But when you bring those people in, now, unless you want to replace them all with machines, mm-hmm. if you want to replace them all with machines, that's wonderful. 
But even when you replace them with machines, you will still have to deal with other human beings. You have to deal with other human beings. We, we, humans, as you said earlier, are not created to simply be by themselves. We're not. We're created to be around other people. That's why the worst thing you can do to a person is put them in solitary confinement. That is what the worst, that's the prison's prison, is psycho, you know, psychologically isolating you from other people. And it's, it's I am hoping and believing and, and you know, actually hoping that this podcast helps people think about the fact that these are human beings. And if you want to be successful, if you want to get great things done, if you want to make money and you need other people, you must create an environment where they feel safe in yeah. that or feel safe to be able to bring, as Dr. Amy Edmondson so often uh, t talked about and continues to talk about, bring their whole self to the discussion, not just part of themselves. They should be able to bring their whole self, which means that means they're going to bring their hurts every now and then. Right. They're going to bring the challenges. They're going to bring their excitement but they're gonna bring their ideas. And if there's not a safe environment, then you don't get the best out of people. And, and you end up with people who do, over the course of time, end up damaged and wounded and traumatized and having to deal with it. I, I recall uh, looking at the, uh, at the, and I'll say it, the, the January 6th, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, enterprise going on on television, and I watched those workers that are here in the state of Georgia, here in Fulton County, that have had to deal with how they were treated because of their job. And my question is, do does anyone care, uh, in terms of the folks who employed them, what have you done to reach out to those people? That's why they were exposed. It's because of their work. They didn't just walk out on the street. Their work caused them to be exposed that way. And, and, and I think employers need to just think more about that because otherwise you're going to lose good people. You know, you know there, there's a couple of great things that come to mind with that. Number one, uh, if they replace everybody with computers, they still got to man those. That's right. You got to oil them. You got to tend to them. So you still got so you, so you to give care. That's right. It's better to give care to beans. Right. The, the, the other thing is that people have to really care. care. I've had officers to call me who's been shot at. And their pain is that, you know, the chief didn't even call me. Mm. The deputy chief didn't even call me. Mm -hmm. They got no communication, mm -hmm. which really simply says, I care about you. I love you enough. So in order for this whole thing to change, our way of thinking have to change. Repent means change your way of thinking. It doesn't mean, oh, Father, forgive me, all that. No, that ain't. <laughs> repent is, is re, read. Come back to your original position, pent, the highest pinnacle. So when you repent, you come back to your original creation that God created you to be, and God is a loving God. Loving means caring. If we can become the way God created us, it means that I'll care for you. That's why I ain't got to like you, but I got to love you, right? And if I love you, I got to care about you. And that's something that we're lacking. A lot of companies will say that we made more money during the pandemic mm -hmm. than we did when we were in operation when everybody was here because people were safer at home doing the work. Mm -hmm. And people are still safer at home 
doing where I, I think some places like Atlanta allow you to come in five days off five days mm -hmm. and have a way you work there. And people can work more at home because that's their safe place. Kind of like me and, and, and is that when it comes down to me, funerals, for example, I don't want to go out to no funeral home mm -hmm. because here is safer mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I hear you, Chief. Mm -hmm. This, um, and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're coming to a close here fairly soon, but I, I, before we go, I, I, I want to make sure that I emphasize both for the people who are listening, for the most part for them, but even for you, is that the primary responsibility for this primarily lies with the employer, the person who brings the person in, but there is also a responsibility on the person to care for themselves. It is not an either or. Again, primarily it's the business, but it is also on the person to care for themselves enough not to be repeatedly traumatized, not to be repeatedly mistreated and disregarded and disrespected. We evaluate ourselves based on our intent. We evaluate other people based on what they do. Mm -hmm. So you can say that we have a culture of caring, that we're concerned about people, that we love. You can say that all you want. What people evaluate is how you caused them to feel based on the actions that you took. So it is about, and it was just so wonderful to hear you talk about the visits that you have made to people. Simply your presence, that's an action. It's mm -hmm. not just I'm feeling some, but people don't know how you feel. They know how they feel. Correct. And they're going to respond based on what you do. You, we have to do things. So it's not just the talking about caring about other people. It is about the doing. It is about being present for people. It is about taking time out of our busy, busy schedules just to have conversation with each other. Correct. Just to, to, you know, to set the business aside every now and then. And how are you doing? And that's why, again, I start out this conversation with who are you? And uh, I want to close the conversation with what's next? What, mm. what, what's, what's next for Pastor Warren Henry? What's next for the chaplaincy? What's, 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 what's next for you? I don't really know what's next for the chaplaincy. Um, where we are in the midst of that is not a healthy place for me. The, the changing of it has caused it to be unhealthy. And because of that, and what God created through the uh, pandemic is a beautiful television production studio, WLH Live Production. And, and I am looking forward to becoming full-time in television production, producing some wonderful creation that's in the heart. I tell people, if you can, if you can think it, we can create it. And then who knows, I may put my head out there and run from it for an elected uh, position. And if that happens, I'll find myself even in a better posture to try to help bring some of this awareness into uh, into a city. Mm, wonderful. Well, uh, that brings this conversation virtually to a close. But one last thing I want to say before uh, before you tune off is that psychological safety sounds like science. It sounds it's a lot of long words, but it is actually a lot of things. And what the conversation that Pastor Henry and I have had today uh, should exemplify for some that there is 
psychological safety in lots of places. It is not just about the wellness program. It is not just about uh, the physical workouts. It's, it is also intending to the mind, the will, the spirit of people. And uh, so I, I would encourage you know, those of you who have not considered uh, including chaplaincy uh, in, in your workspace or in your organization, it's something to consider. Again, it, it, it is not the option for everyone, but it can be an option. Mm -hmm. And it is something certainly to consider. Uh, and I, I certainly have enjoyed having this conversation with you. I believe that we're going to be having others yes. uh, in, in the very near future. So uh, again, just before we, you know, we close, last words to the folks who are listening to this. We're, folks will be listening all over the world. So what, what message would you have for them? It's important that you become healthy all around in spirit, soul, and body. That's it. That's our final word for this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.